Guide for the Love of Running webinar series. Today is Friday, April 17th. As always, my name is Evan. I've been your host of this series. And today, again, I am joined by Gus. Gus, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad to be back this uh, week to have another talk on uh, how striders can get more out of the run power data. Absolutely. We're excited to continue this format. So uh, going forward, we'll continue to have uh, experts in their individual domains on the Stride for the Love of Running series. We'll be able to chat with them, uh, have them answer your questions. But we also want to give a general sort of Stride related topic and answer your specific questions and answers that you have for us once a week. So today, the set presentation that we have, the topic we're going to talk about is how to tell if you are progressing as a strider without racing opportunities. And that's the important thing to know right now is how we can actually track progress without having the normal sort of flow and racing opportunities that we're used to. Um, if anybody has any questions during the presentation, please feel free to drop them in the chat. We'll have a team member forward them on to us. So we're very excited to answer your questions that you have along the way. Without further ado, we're going to get into it now. So starting off, uh, Gus, can you tell us usually how people track their improvements in a quote unquote normal scenario? Yeah, so personal best, that's kind of the motivation for a lot of us as, you know, performance-oriented runners, those of us running with power. And, you know, that's the ultimate benchmark of our fitness. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the true do-or-die moment when you're on the starting line and you really want to aim for a certain time. And that that's the goal you're striving to. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that's been – that opportunity has been removed right now. We don't have the opportunity to set the the personal best. So what is the motivation of a runner? What can we hang our hat on? What can we celebrate? What can we look for in our stride data to tell if we're truly improving or we're truly making those uh, those benchmarks? How do we how do we basically move the crosshairs to something else? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we want to present today. Absolutely. And the uh, um you know the 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 line of thinking here isn't necessarily wrong. It's just that sort of thing we're used to, right? We're used to targeting a personal best. Uh, usually when people look at races, it's time. Even if you race with stride, usually the thing we hear, you know, when we go to meet people uh, at, you know, the Boston Marathon, you know, if this were normal circumstances, we'd be in Boston right now uh, getting, you know, prepped for the marathon uh, this, this coming Monday. But um, usually people are gauging themselves just off of finishing times, you know, whether it's a local 5k or the Boston marathon, but yeah, we have to, um, you know, kind of adapt to the current circumstances because we can't target those personal bests that we kind of identify, uh, our, our, ourselves by. So, um, let's talk about, I guess the, the things that are easy to see improvements can come in many, many different forms, many, many different ways. Uh, Stride can really help you uncover some of these improvements, but let's, I guess, talk about the the first easy to see improvements. Um, so the the first one we want to talk about is what does your power duration curve look like? Because this is something that you can actually interact with and something that you can actually uh, see, uh, you know, change day to day, week to week, month to month. As you know, high of a focus as you want to give stuff, you can go into the individual day breakdown here. So. Um, I believe, Gus, you have an example of your own power duration curve. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so I will be talking about my uh, my curve a bit here. Awesome. So I guess uh, just starting out a sort of uh, you know beginner easy way to get into things is raising your critical power. How how would this be an easy to see improvement for somebody, Gus? Yeah, so this is one we've talked about a lot, and this one is one that should be obvious to everyone. If you can't raise, try and raise your critical power instead, because a higher critical power will essentially signal that you're you're enabled to do a faster race and you're able to perform better on race day and this is one we talked about a lot last week uh on our on our podcast on how to maintain and raise your critical power during this time period and this is what i consider a very beginner way a very easy to see way on how to how to gauge your fitness is improving Mm -hmm. and this is um you know something that's relevant all year round too right so let's say the the normal time span for somebody maybe living in in the US with winter giving some more you know adverse uh, running conditions in you know in Boulder here we just hit our record for the snowiest winter ever so maybe it's hard to get out and do some local races but you can always focus on raising your critical power and for those people who didn't listen last week we talked um, you know what? It was a 75-minute show, I think, on maintaining your critical power and how specifically to go about that. So um, we definitely have a lot of strategies. But this would be, you know, the thing you can access in the app, the uh, thing you can access on Power Center. You can actually see how your critical power is rising or falling over time. So this would definitely be a great first one. Um, more, more advanced. This is filling in your modeled curve, and this is something we talked again a lot about last week, right, Gus? Yeah, absolutely. So when I'm thinking about the model curve, I'm really thinking about training variety in that if you're doing the same run, the same kind of run, the same workouts week after week, you're going to be hitting the same points on the power duration curve. And you know, you're not going to always be able to make improvements there because mm-hmm. if you have a great performance, like let's just say you have a fantastic performance on the track one week and then you go back next week, if you perform about the same, it's it didn't really move up your power duration curve. But there's actually there's actually some room for some variety in there mm-hmm. where let's say that your your best over 20 minutes is 300 watts mm-hmm. and you did a you did a 5K. So instead of doing another 5K in 20 minutes, what if you what if you aim for 21 minutes and or 25 minutes and you just lower the power target slightly? Mm-hmm. It's still kind of the same duration, but you're actually filling in new parts of the curve and you're making improvements in in regions that you typically wouldn't train. Right. And this is never um, you know, the like this suggestion isn't necessarily how you should train all the time, but especially right now, it's a way to identify um you know some some room for improvement or uh an area at which you can easily identify a room for improvement so specifically here for people who are watching the video that we have uh we see an example of gus's power duration curve where this white modeled curve um at about 53 to 54 minutes his modeled ability is 270 watts but the actual uh you know contribution from his actual runs it's only at 199 watts. Let's just round it to 200 watts. So even though you've only performed, uh, you know, at, at 200 watts, you know that you have the ability to push up to 270 watts. So maybe a practical training application for you would be saying, "I want to go for somewhere between 52 to 55 minutes, and I want to hit 275 watts because I know my modeled ability says I can do 270." I want to stick right in that 270 to 275 window. Um, so that might be a 
practical application for a more advanced way to fill in your modeled curve uh, here. But the example of you, you know, saying, yeah, between 20 to 25 minutes, um, that, that sort of line of thinking extends all the way past classical race distances. And it might offer some variation in your training, which is incredibly important right now, for sure. Yeah, I just want to reiterate at one point in that you, you said that it's that uh, for training wise, it's not important for you to fill the entire curve. And I want to make note of that it's not important to fill this entire curve, but it's it's a good way to look for opportunity to add some variety, totally some variety into your training. Totally, totally. Um, all right, next topic is I believe the the more even more advanced subject, right? Yeah, so we've broken these into three categories. Uh, so for power duration, we have the we have the beginner, we have the more advanced, and then we have the expert. And we really wanted to offer a wider a, a wide array of suggestions for the entire striking because I know we have some people that are just receiving their devices this mm -hmm. weekend. They've had it for the last few weeks. So some of these advanced suggestions are things they can worry about two or three months down the line. And then for people that have been running with Stripe for five plus years, mm -hmm. uh, around five years now, these are things that you can really focus in on. And if you've mastered the other things, this is what you can really hang your hat on and celebrate as your improvement. Right. So let's talk through again your actual, I believe this is your power duration curve. Is that correct? Yeah. So let's um, let's talk through maybe what we're seeing here. If people are watching the video live here, and then uh, maybe instructing the things that we can target. Yeah. So what what I'm looking here in my curve, I have uh, two lines. I know it's a little blurry, but I think you, I think you guys will all get the uh, get the idea here. I have two lines. I have the last six months and the last ninety days. And if I wanted to target a historical weak spot, I see that I have the the high intensity activities and I have the long activities, but my my anaerobic contribution kind of in the middle is kind of flat. It's not very diverse. It's very flat in that region. You can see that's reflected both the 90-day effort and the last uh, the last six months. So that's really indicated me that I, I'm not really very strong in the 5K or 10K region. That if I want to if I want to uh, log some good uh, performances in those regions, I should probably diversify my training between the five-minute and the 40-minute mark because it's very flat in those regions. It's very, very flat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the power here from the power duration curve is something that helps illustrate that idea, right? So we can see these specific sort of drop-offs, but it really, really, really helps tie in and connect those ideas uh, between, um, you know, again, looking at this specific example, we can see historical weak spots. We can see exactly where efforts drop off over time. And so maybe for you, because the lines are very, very flat for this 10 to 40 minute range, that might not be something that we have to focus on right now. Maybe we could work on, you know, uh, we're, we're looking at specifically this uh, blue line for people watching. Uh, this blue line's a little bit under the purple line. And so we're going to say, okay, we want to work on bringing up that one minute to five minute power, or we want to work on bringing up that one hour power uh, just just for your uh, sort of recent training. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, a, a great way to visualize it. And again, this is um, getting a little bit more advanced than just looking at your modeled curve, but it is going to be looking at your historical weak spots and making some um, you know, historical comparison. Something that I love to do in my own training is look at where I was last year or six months ago, right? It's very, very fun to be able to look back and compare and have a little bit of a 
better idea just about what you are um, you know, experiencing right now in your training and then what you're uh, kind of pushing for as well. So I have, we have one question yeah. come in from Opera sure. Hog um, <laughs> via the YouTube stream. And Opera Hog asked, does five minutes mean you should do a five-minute workout? Uh, so that that's exactly what that means. It, it, it Well, it's basically what it means because you see my power duration curves are very flat at five minutes compared uh, the last 90 days versus the last six months. So if I wanted to add some more texture there and I wanted to diversify my diversify my training i should probably do a mile repeat some kind of effort that is going to um that's going to maximize my power display over five minutes so that could be five minutes it could be a mile uh, mile repeats some kind of some kind of workout that's going to give me the opportunity to display my fitness in that uh that region yeah absolutely and i the the thing that we don't necessarily want to give with these recommendations is give you um, you know, the exact set of instructions like you, the only way to, you know, get better is by following these instructions exactly. We want to give you kind of that blueprint and that architecture for being able to identify those, um, you know, on this expert level here that we're calling it historical weak spots, um, a more advanced thing, filling in your modeled curve, just being aware and giving you the tools to inform your training and just have a, a, a better idea about it. So, um, you know, we, we never want to give, uh, you know, 100%, this is the only way, absolute way to um, sort of improve your training. But what we kind of want to do is give you that idea and understanding of, of how to take um, your own special set of circumstances uh, into consideration and then improve off of that as well. So so we have a uh, we have another question from mm -hmm. opera hog here mm -hmm. so do five minutes and then end the workout and save and then restart and do it again so what opera hog is asking it is if you need to start the run do the five minute workout then immediately stop the run and that's that's not necessary no so stride even if you did this run in part of like a one hour run or as part of an interval session stride's going to pick out those sections inside of that run and add that to your power duration curve. So you don't need to save that effort as a single run. You can have that part of a longer activity. Yep, absolutely. So absolutely. It's very, very flexible. You should control, basically when I tell people how to record their run, I tell them to record their warm up, their main workout session, their cool down, all as part of a single activity. You might have the entire activity be you know, an hour long and the workout might only be 20 minutes, but you want to capture that 20 minute warm up and you want to capture that 20 minute cool down all part of one activity. And that's going to give stride the best insight on the entire context of the run. And we want to be able to see the entire run to be able to pull out these best sections. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, something that some people might be familiar with is, uh, you know, let's just say you're doing eight times 400 on a track and you pause between each repeat and you take your, you know, one lap walking rest just because you want the average to look good. Well, it's, it's important to have that full understanding of, you know, that, that full extension basically of the data. So, um, yeah, Gus's answer is completely right there. You don't have to immediately hit uh, end and then, and then save uh, the, the run here. Do we have any other uh, questions before we move on to the next one? There's one more question I want to answer, and that's from Pascal Bus. Mm -hmm. Pascal asks, is it important to have the blue line close to the purple line or have them linearly, a linear or horizontal? And I'm not sure what he means by linear or, or horizontal, but I, I can't answer the first part where he says it's important to have the blue line close to the purple. 
So let's say that my last six months of training were really, really good. I had a really, really good performance over my last six months. And then I'm comparing that to my 90 day effort. If I want to replicate my fitness in the last six months and bring that in the last 90 days, I would try and match those lines up because that shows that my training uh, over the last six months was very good. And I want to emulate that. If my training was not very good, then I, I want to build a new curve. I want to build a more diverse curve. And in this case, I would consider that my last six months of fitness was just okay. So I might try and model some of my runs after that last six months, but I also want to be building on that. I want to build an even more diverse power duration curve than what you see in this image. So there's two things. There's two things. You want to match it if it's been good. And if it hasn't been good, you want to build on top of that and use that as your line and say, I want to make it more diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to comment maybe even on, uh, you know, my personal experience with this. As runners, we tend to think that in the current moment, we have to be as in shape or as fit or as productive or as any sort of, you know, positive identifier uh, as we were in the past. And running is not linear. So you're not always going to keep improving no matter what, as much as we think you're going, you, you know, you, you think you're going to keep building and building and building and never have to take a little bit of time down or never start at, you know, the point you're currently at and then work off of that. The beauty of this sort of topic here of looking at historical weak spots and using the power duration curve comparison in Power Center is that you're able to, sure, look at you know what you've done in the past. It's been absolutely great. But you're also able to say, I want to compare my last 60 days to my last 30 days. And that might help you illustrate uh, the idea in your head that your past 30 days have been awesome and you've been building off of your past 60 days, you know, um, or vice versa. And you have more and more information now and a better way to sort of visualize that, you know, I personally, uh, you know, whenever I'm starting out a workout block or I'm trying to improve my fitness, the first thing I always think and go back to is like, man, when I was really in shape, I could do, you know, X, Y, and Z, but now it's really, really hard just to do, you know, one of those things. It's, it's totally okay to do that, but helping yourself understand, uh, at least in this illustrated sort of view, by using the sort of power duration curve comparison, um, it really, really does help you focus. Um, and it, it would definitely be something if people haven't done it before, go to stride.com slash power center and uh, compare, you know, maybe where you're at now, your last 90 days versus your last six months, um, and, and just see how uh, things have maybe shifted or things have uh, sort of changed. So uh, I, I think, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, and something I've been thinking about a lot recently as I've been getting back into some harder training of being able to kind of analyze past stuff um, for sure. But this is a great way to uh, help illustrate those sort of points. Absolutely. So I think that covers the questions for now. Let's move on to cool. the next topic. Sure. So next topic is what does your leg spring stiffness look like? And before we dive into leg spring stiffness, I'm sure people are you know familiar with maybe seeing the metric in the app or in Power Center, uh, but they don't really understand necessarily what it means. Gus, I think you have a, a great sort of description for it. Um, how would you describe leg spring stiffness to somebody and how to visualize it in a practical way? 
Yeah, leg spring stiffness. Uh, this is a very interesting metric and one that I don't think a lot of runners think about, but once you understand it, it's a very, very powerful tool in a, in a runner's arsenal. And the way you could basically think about leg spring stiffness, it's how much energy recycles. So think of your leg as a spring. If you have a really great spring and you compress it down and you press it down and you release it, it's going to fire off a lot of energy. And if your spring is is it's uh, wearing out, if it's not very strong, it's not going to release uh, energy. So the best runners really have these springs that are very effective throughout an entire race. Uh, the start of the race, they're recycling a lot of energy. I think that's the case of most runners. But even deep into a uh, deep into a race, their legs haven't turned to jello. They're still effectively taking that energy from every stride and, and effectively recycling it. And uh, you know, there's two things to keep in mind with leg spring stiffness. You can improve it. You can make yourself more resistant to fatigue so you can maintain it over a long run. You can also raise it so you start the run out with a higher leg spring stiffness because your legs are stronger. And then uh, the one visualization I, I, I like uh, when you bring it up is, what is it, throwing a like a bouncy ball? down a hallway. I think that's, you know, uh, an email we've sent out in the past to kind of illustrate the idea. Is that um, a, a way to help people kind of understand it? Yeah, absolutely. So if you have a, if you have a really great super ball, you, you throw it down the hallway, it's going to keep bouncing. It's going to keep bouncing and it's not going to, it's not really going to lose a lot of bounce as it keeps going. And that, mm -hmm. that really is a good marathon or, or a good endurance runner who someone who can effectively recycle energy deep into a run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Let's, then talk about the like the basic, the advanced, and the expert level uh, recommendations that we have here. So uh, the the basic or the beginner level is start incorporating maybe some of those ancillary or accessory exercises that you've put off because you you know you have a race coming up in eight weeks and you don't want to add anything new. Uh, things like drills, hills, and supplemental training help can help improve leg spring stiffness. So um, doing things like plyometrics, we've talked to a couple of people over the past couple of weeks that have recommended, um, you know, adding in specific sets of plyometrics or drills, uh, working on your, your hill running and then other types of supplemental training can help improve your leg spring stiffness. Is there anything you wanted to comment specifically about this, Gus? Yeah, so for someone monitoring their leg spring stiffness, how do you how do you reasonably see improvements in this number? And what you want to do is you want to compare like runs. So if you do a let's say you do a one hour long run, and your leg spring stiffness is eight point five, eight point five kilonewtons per meter, and then let's say you do maybe six weeks of of hill training where every every Friday you're going to the hills and you're doing you're doing a bunch of uh, you know hill sprints as as outlined by our our hill episode of the Stride Power podcast. If you need help on the uh, on executing a hill workout, go see that episode. What what episode is that, Evan? I think it's four. Um, it's it's one of one of the earlier ones, but it talks about muscle power. But we also covered it um, in a little bit of depth last week, I believe, right? Of how to add variety into your training by adding some short intensity there. So then let's say you successfully complete these hill sprints over a period of six weeks, and then you do a similar one hour long run at a similar intensity 
you ought to say that leg spring stiffness number, the average over that entire run improved. Mm -hmm. It ought to go from maybe 8.5 to 8.7. That jump might not be massive, but it should be noticeable. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's going to tell you that your, your hill sprints paid off, and that's something you should continue to focus on and continue to build on. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I want to maybe, you know, say too when we're talking about leg spring stiffness or LSS is that it's not necessarily something that should make or break your analysis of a run, right? It's that additional metric that's in there. Um, other important things to look at uh, when you're sort of comparing stuff is how your vertical oscillation changes as well, how your ground contact time uh, ground contact time is, you know, kind of changed over the course of these comparisons as well. So um, the beginner sort of, uh, you know, advice for us is not even to look at your LSS uh, every single run after every single one of these repeats. It's to be consciously aware that it is okay to add in specific plyometric drills, hills, and supplemental training, and that can start to lead you down the road of improving your LSS. So um, beginner, uh, more advanced. So this is something that's actually uh, pretty interesting is optimizing stiffness on expected race surfaces. What does this mean, Gus? Yeah, absolutely. So let's say you're, you're signed up for a cross-country race, you're signed up for a trail race, or maybe you're signed up for a race taking place on a gravel road or maybe a loose dirt road, something besides just normal asphalt or concrete you really should be practicing and training at race intensity on those surfaces. And there's some research out there that basically indicates that your body conforms, conforms to whatever surface you're running on and that your your essentially your running form changes, your, your response to the surface changes as you run on different surfaces. So you need to optimize your body to run on these different surfaces. You need to get used to it. You need to become effective running at the right power target and you get your muscles used to running on these surfaces so you know i chose a photo here where you've got a, a couple guys running on a very uh, muddy cross-country course and that's basically what it looks like if you don't prepare for the surface you're going to run on your body's not going to be used to it's not going to be used to the impact forces it's not going to be used to those um to the small change in the surface so you know, for example, if you spend the entire winter running on a treadmill, the treadmill surface is going to be very different than running the Boston Marathon, uh, you know, in April, let's say next year, because uh, that, that wouldn't be applicable this year. But it's really important to be doing uh, race paced training on the surface you expect to run on. That's going to improve your leg spring stiffness and make that a better race for you. Yeah. And I think this is valuable training advice no matter what. Right. So this ties into the topic we're talking about, because to, you know, biomechanically start to adjust and start to, um, you know, make sure that you're OK for running on grass. You have to practice running on grass, uh, running uphill gravel road races. Right. Like you have to prepare for that. You wouldn't expect to just do all of your training in one condition and then expect to take all of that uh, training and then be, you know, just as fit or just as ready from a biomechanical or from a overall preparation side when you switch to a new type of uh, course. But tying in LSS with this is it is something that you can consciously be aware of during your training that you are optimizing your body to be prepared for the new 
um, type of stimulus that you'll find on race day, you don't want it to be completely new on race day. So you should train with that expectation in mind that you're preparing specifically for the demands of the course that you have. Um, any other points on this more advanced topic, Gus? No, I think that covers it. And you made a good point in that it's it's not just about the the race service, but it's also about the um, it's also about the inclines and the declines. Yeah. If you're blowing yourself up running downhill at, let's say, the Boston Marathon, and there's a there's a lot of downhills at the start of the race, uh, your leg spring stiffness isn't going to be so good later in the race. So you mm -hmm. really do uh, you really need to practice that as well. If you're to run a lot of downhills and then still maintain that effect of LSS deeper into a run. Absolutely. Um, all right. So our expert uh, advice here is optimizing stiffness at race speed. So this is something that is different than uh, necessarily optimizing at different uh, you know, power. It's looking at the specific demands, again, of uh, whatever course you're going to be on and training for that course. Okay, that's you know our advanced topic. The expert topic is actually identifying the really the specificity, um, you know, as much as you can before race day. Do you have any recommendations for optimizing stiffness at race speed, Gus? Yeah, one of the interesting things is that if you're running very if you're running very slow, your LSS is going to be lower. And the faster you run, the, the higher the LSS increases. And sometimes you see an inflection point where you actually, if you start running too fast, LSS starts going down in that you're not actually prepared to um, recycle energy at those high speeds. So, you know, you want to hit that inflection point ideally you want to get that inflection point right at your race speed and it might not be a perfect inflection point but basically you want to optimize that at your race speed and this is something that tom uh, schwartz talked about on his webinar and you can go watch uh, the webinar of coach tin man in our youtube channel or our podcast and tom talked about a lot about improving economy at basically doing a lot of race pace workouts and doing those workouts effectively so you really want to be practicing um, you know, race pace workouts in order to optimize your, your stiffness at those speeds. Yeah. And that's just, again, um, building on the stuff that we talked about earlier, this is something that, you know, you should keep in mind no matter what you're preparing for, but it's especially useful to have another metric added into your arsenal. Um, you know, another, another thing in your wheelhouse there of being able to consciously be aware that you have to prepare if, you know, like this example runner on the track, let's just say they're running, uh, you know, an 800 meter race and they're trying to optimize their ability at their 800 meter race speed. They might do something like five times, you know, 300 meters uh, at, at race speed with a lot of rest in between. Or, you know, you could do something like we've advocated for, um, you know, strides. So those, those flat bouts of faster running uh, versus hill sprints because you're training your body to actually run at race speed. So it's something to consciously be aware of no matter what distance you're training for. So even if you're a marathoner, if you're now all of a sudden finding yourself, um, you know, with a bunch of free time and your races that have been on these undulating courses have actually, you know, they, they, they've been canceled or postponed. Now you have a lot more free time to start to enact some stuff in your training. So you might actually practice uh, running at your race target speed as well. So maybe look at a flatter surface and start to optimize your ability at that speed would just be maybe one potential suggestion. 
um, that we could have. Do we have any uh, questions that have trickled in for this subject? One more thing. There, sure. there have been a few questions. I want to note one more thing. And sure. this is something I, I noted at the start of our discussion topic here. You also want to optimize it at race distance. So if you do a 20 mile long run and you look at your average leg spring stiffness over the course of the run and it drops off after 15 miles, if it starts declining after 15 miles, that shows that you don't have the leg spring stiffness to run at the race speed you need to over the course of a marathon. Right. So that means you basically need to work on improving your fatigue resistance as well. And right. that may include more endurance training, more race paced work as we, as we mentioned more. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, cool. Yeah. What, uh, what questions have people asked? And a reminder, if anybody is watching live, please feel free to send in questions and we will get to them. So we did have a question asking, is a higher leg spring stiffness better? And that is correct. I think you, you came to that conclusion, but I want to confirm that is correct. Mm -hmm. The next question is from Pascal. It seems like leg spring stiffness is mostly improved by a better running technique slash form. Is that correct? And Evan, do you want to answer that one? Yeah, um, it, it, it depends. That's a very... Uh, open box whenever people refer to as, you know, f form, uh, that that's a thing that isn't really necessarily defined. If you talk about like a pattern of movement that looks pretty to somebody, uh, then people typically say, oh, they have such good running form. So like, let's say we're looking at the top marathoners in the world versus, um, you know, maybe some of the top 800 meter runners in the world. They're both very, very, uh, you know, like, pretty to look at when they're running at their optimized race speed. But if you asked either to flip race speed that they're running at, their form probably wouldn't look the exact same. So um, I don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, LSS is driven by form. Uh, but if you have, you know, maybe some very, very obvious, uh, you know, hitches in your uh, stride or your very imbalanced side to side, uh, you know, I'm just throwing conjectures out there. Um, it, it, it's, it, it could be something that's in like your LSS might improve if you fix some biomechanical stuff, but, uh, that's not necessarily the, uh, the subject of what we're, uh, talking about. So I, I don't know if that necessarily answered it fully. I, I can answer it. Leg spring stiffness uh, has to deal more with muscle strength and condition than it does with running form. Sure. So you should more focus on building muscle strength and condition and the connectivity across the body. Sure. Um, and that's something uh, Bobby McGee talks about a lot. And mm -hmm. we had a, we had a webinar with Bobby McGee. Mm -hmm. So I think if you watch Bobby McGee's webinar, which was episode uh, number two, two, I think you're going to find some tips there to improve mm -hmm. leg spring stiffness as well. Yeah. And if you focus on some of the little things like improving your, um, you know, muscle strength, then maybe your quote unquote form might follow suit uh, a bit. Again, it's a very open book and it's not really well uh, defined necessarily. So we had another question here that I want to answer for it's about shoes and leg spring stiffness. Mm -hmm. So for example, some people might be thinking of the Nike shoes. They might be thinking of different shoes sure. and trying to determine if this improves your leg spring stiffness. And what people are going to see is that your leg spring stiffness is going to change between different shoes. Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot of your metrics are going to change. And that's for a number of reasons. Uh, 
primarily due to the speed you're running, yep. uh, maybe partially due to the shoe choice, but there's a lot of variables that affect the leg spring stiffness, the power, and you know, basically our position on this is you probably will find differences in your metrics. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be up to you to determine whether that's a beneficial improvement or a non-beneficial improvement. Uh, with the shoes, you know, we also see that some people will be perform better be due to mechanical reasons and also mental reasons. We see some people just feel more comfortable running faster in some shoes and some mm -hmm. shoes enable people to run faster. So, um, you know the shoot the shoot topic is very is very complex and if you can complete a good test i encourage you to do so and i also encourage you to run in the shoe that you feel the fastest in the most confident in and the shoe that reflects the most metrics sure um maybe one question i don't know if people have asked it uh, so far you uh brought brought up the question earlier of is a higher leg spring stiffness better but between runners you know somebody could have a lss of six um, versus an LSS of 12, how would one know that they are they are better than the other? We have a way of kind of looking at LSS in sort of a normalized or comparative value, is that correct? For leg spring stiffness? Yes, yes. Well, one thing you can look at on the power center is the, is the comparison on next to the power duration curve, the runner profile. Mm -hmm. And this, helps profile basically your muscle power. Sure. I'm just going to pull this up here so I can explain it in, uh, sure. in more concrete terms. But if you look at that, it, it kind of ranks you against your age group and your goal distance inside the training distribution chart. And that is the muscle power. And uh, that's a good way. That's a good indicator if your leg spring stiffness is improving and how you stack up against other runners. Totally. Um, cool. Any other questions on LSS before we move on to the next one? Um, let's let's move on to the next one. We sure. can front some more of these questions uh, later on. Sure. So we were uh, talking just before about some easy to see improvements, but now let's talk about some less easy to see uh, type of improvements that we can still take a look at. So what does your power look like? And this is um, a very, very interesting. We could probably do, uh, you know, a, solely a webinar on, on this type of concept here, but what does your power look like? Uh, the thing that a, you know, a, a beginner way to look at this, a basic way to look at this is your ability to hold a steady power. It is, um, you know, not the easiest thing for somebody to do if, you are coming from running with solely, you know, pace or heart rates to now adapt to power. But once you practice it, you'll find that it is a, a skill that once you, yes, have practice, it is something that you get a lot better at. So if you're used to running by pace and looking at your GPS watch telling you, you know, second by second that, you know, you need to all of a sudden speed up a ton or slow down a ton or speed up, slow down, like, blast up this hill and, you know, basically dial the effort way down when you're coming back down a hill, your ability to hold a steady power is not something you have practiced. So a beginner way to look at some less easy to see improvements is your ability to hold a steady power. Gus, what would you uh, comment on this? Yeah, absolutely. So what I think of is I think of uh, Kipchoge and I think about the two hour marathon. 
So I think about the car that's running at the constant speed right in front of him. And if Kipchoge is able to run that constant speed on a very flat course, that means his metabolic consistency is very, very even. There's no undulations in his pace. And he's able to basically, he was basically holding a steady power. He wasn't wearing a stride device, but you can just look at him and you know that he was holding a very steady power from the start of his effort until the end of his effort. And that's what you want to be thinking about when you're running with stride. You want to be holding that laser consistent and precision power from the start of your race to your finish. You don't want any ups or downs. You don't want any swings. You don't want to let off the gas pedal or press it down too much because that's going to throw off your metabolic consistency. It's going to it's going to uh, inhibit your performance. And I see this all the time. If, for example, we would be at the Boston Marathon Expo right now, and I would be talking to you guys all in person instead of over the internet. And I know that the very, very good marathons, the best, the fastest, the striders at marathon, when I look at their past marathons, their power is so, so flat. It's incredible. And where I see beginner striders are uh, are doing a very good job at keeping even power, but I see room for improvement where they can keep that laser consistent power from the start of their run to their finish. And it's a it's a skill you have to practice. It's not something that is necessarily easy, but uh, it is something that you can work on. It is uh, you know that there are tools. Um, you know, that we have, and I believe we're going to talk about them in the next slide. Is that correct? Of the things to help you hold the steady power. Yeah. So a great way to practice this is here's our more advanced tip, consistent mm -hmm. and repeatable intervals. So mm -hmm. let's say you're, pre you're prescribed a, um, a 12 times 200 meter workout and you're told to hold 300 Watts for every rep of the 200 meter workout. Mm -hmm. Your, your first rep should look identical to your last rep. That's the goal. You want to be so consistent. There's, um, you know, you don't want to start out 10% above your power, then finish 10% below your power. The average might be right, but the mm -hmm. consistency is way off. You want to keep that flat, consistent interval power from uh, rep one to the final rep. Yeah, absolutely. And practicing some specific intensities at a little bit shorter duration will help your skill of just being able to get in that steady state, get in that groove, and that will translate to your easy running ability, your long run ability, your race ability as well. But you have to, um, you know, practice things that are, again, that th this point is very, very concise, but it's consistent and repeatable. Um, if you do this, you know, week in and week out in your training, uh, it is a skill that you are building over time. Any other comments about this one before moving on to the next one? Oh, I think that one's. I think that one's really clear. Yeah, uh, this is probably the most concise slide we have on here. It's just break, breaking it down very simply. Um, experts, and this is something that uh, if this was maybe what last year at this time, it's something that we could talk about, but maybe not talk about as in depth now with the addition of adding in. Uh, air resistance to the overall power number. It's something that adds a little bit more variability, but it also helps you have more information of your run in the current moment. And it just adds another uh, you know, layer for you to be an expert about pacing very, very evenly in terms of a power output. So the expert level is steady power over rolling terrain in gusty winds with lap power. Gus, how would you describe this? 
Yeah, and this actually answers a question that we had in the chat here where someone was asking about what about hilly trail runs? It's it's nearly impossible for me to keep a consistent power when it's really windy, when there's a lot of uphills and downhills. So what you want to be doing in this situation is you want to be getting your average power right. If the the conditions are so challenging that you can't hold it second by second, what about kilometer by kilometer? What about that? What if you set a kilometer by kilometer uh, split on your watch and you just look at your lap power? And kilometer one's, you know, let's say that averages 300 watts. Kilometer two is 301. Kilometer three is 303. That'd be absolutely perfect if you can nail kilometer by kilometer in the areas where you just can't keep it second by second. And I think, uh, you know, one thing that's a pretty uh, new sort of addition for us, we had our Garmin developer Colby on a few weeks ago to talk about the new, specifically the Garmin workout app for Stride. Um, earlier this week, I did a workout and it was seven times three minutes. And my only goal was to keep that lap power in between 320 and 325 watts. And, uh, you know, for that five watt band at the 300 watt range, that's a very, very, very tiny window. And I was able to do that perfectly. I was between 321 and 325 for all my laps. So I was able to close it down just because I've practiced for a long time running with Stride, so I know how to keep a relatively even effort. But having a tool like the Stride Workout app on my Garmin while I'm running, it just makes it even better. I can bounce around a tiny bit between that range, but if I didn't have the uh, you know the Workout app and I was going just off of pace, um, my pace variability there, just because, again, we're here in Boulder, Colorado, it's hilly, and it's windy, my pace differential was uh, 5.12 per mile all the way up to 5.40 per mile for the repeats, but they were all within the same four watt range. But the pace per mile was almost you know 30 seconds a mile different for these three minute stretches. So I've been able to practice and kind of enact these pacing strategies during my workouts, which means come race day, I have full confidence, right? I have full, full confidence that if I set my race goal, to be between 320 and 325 watts for let's just say a 10K for, for an example, I would be able to do exactly that because I have now practiced during my training, I've been able to do this exact, exact replication in training and now I can move it to racing. So it takes practice, but you're absolutely able to do it with some of these newer tools um, that we have as well. I was so excited to use that app, by the way, um, for, you know, the, uh, for, for the workout, just because looking at it afterwards, I always get so excited being like, man, if I was training off of pace or training off of heart rate, I would have had these huge spikes and then these huge slowdowns. I would have been like really demotivated that my sixth repeat was, you know, 540 mile pace, but that was actually 325 watts. And the next repeat that was slightly downhill and slightly with the wind at my back that was 322 watts, but I ran almost 30 seconds faster per mile. So um, keeping that steady power over rolling terrain and gusty winds is absolutely accomplishable. Uh, lap power helps a ton with that as well. And that's that kind of expert level tip that we have. So we do have a lot of uh, questions here and sure. there's, there's quite a few. So let's see. One question is from Gert Jan is saying, are the fluctuations in the shown power graphs, are they consistent or are they too noisy to be considered steady? 
And uh, so I just took some screenshots for these slides. Mm -hmm. It's hard to really see it in context. If you see the running context, it's a lot easy, easy to see how steady this power is yeah. and the scale it's on. So you really, uh, it's really about comparing to yourself. And it's about comparing on a run by run basis because the specific terrain of that run and your specific skill set is going to determine what's good or what's bad. Mm. Um, on a very flat road race, you keep it obviously more consistent on a very hilly road race. It's going to mm -hmm. be harder to keep that consistency in those conditions. Right. But um, you is this a race of yours, Gus? Uh, th yeah, this is. This is, is this Boulder Boulder? Uh, this is the uh, Fortitude race. Ah, I was going to say it looks like uh, the end there. It looks like there was like a kick up from a hill, settle back in, and then try and sprint the, sprint the finish. But this looks like a very, very steady uh, race effort, I think. We also have uh, quite a few leg spring stiffness uh, questions. We're gonna we're gonna hold those for the end. Sure. We'll move on to the next slide here. Sure. Uh, so, what does your training look like? And again, this is one of the things that we uh, consider as a less easy to see um, thing that 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 you can work on. So, beginner minimally personalizing your training. And what does this mean, Gus? How does a uh, you know this, this beginner uh, thing of minimali minimally personalizing your training. Yeah, so this kind of calls back to our power duration curve topic, where let's say you're weak in an area, but your training plan doesn't have you running any hill sprints or any kind of long runs or any kind of anaerobic runs that specifically address your need. There might be some of those runs in there, but they don't specifically address your need. So what you want to start doing is minimally working in some of these concepts that we've talked about in your own training plan. Unless you have a coach that's working with you on a full-time basis, you're probably working on a training plan that might not be exactly personalized for you. The beauty of having this data is that you can make these decisions on your own with confidence and know that you're making the right training decisions. So let's say that my my power duration curve is lacking in the zero to one minute range, but I don't have any hill sprints on my training. You want to make the choice to add those hill sprints in once a week. You don't have to overhaul your entire entire training plan. You don't have to change every single workout. I'm talking maybe change one workout every two weeks and start incorporating the concepts that will specifically benefit you. Totally. And that's something that uh, is less easy to see, maybe requires you to look a little bit into your training data. But once you start to identify and use some of these tips that we're giving you, it's able, um, it, it's a lot easier for you to be able to kind of uh, look, look at these things in your data. So next one is more advances, staying healthy and knowing when to stop. I guess this is uh, something that every runner probably needs more help with than they admit. I, you know, Staying healthy means that you can be more consistent, even if you can't, uh, you know, blast out uh, an extra workout in a six-week period. If you are able to make that kind of trade-off and knowing when to stop pushing it, that's when you can, uh, you know, really take advantage and keep that training consistent. What other comments do you have about staying healthy as a less easy-to-see uh, thing for for training? So the beauty of the data is that you can compare workouts apples to apples. So let's say I do an interval workout last week. It went fantastic. I was able to hit all my power targets for every interval. And now this week, the first half of the reps, I hit the power target. The second half of the reps, I started struggling. At that point, I've recognized I'm struggling, and my metrics confirm that. 
So at that point, I may decide maybe I should end this workout. Maybe something is wrong. My metrics aren't are agreeing with my personal feeling. My personal feeling is very bad. So at that point, you have to make the decision, should I keep going? Should I stop? And that's something that more advanced users can do. Once they really know their numbers and how they relate to relate to you personally, you can make the smart decision and use your metrics as a confirmation of whether you should stop and keep going within a workout. And and it's stuff that even takes it past this is if you do have to stop a workout, you really need to look at your past few weeks of training and determine why that happened. Did I hold power too high in my last long run? Right. Did I not rest enough? Was my RSS too high? So you need to know when to stop and you need to be able to recognize those moments and determine why that happened. Right. I can give a, a pretty concrete example, actually something that happened this week. Uh, so I ran a, uh, you know, a, a goal race at the end of February. I took two weeks off after that. And then I started building back into training. So building back into training for me for the first two weeks was three or four days a week, do a mix of run, walking by feel. And I was going up to 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And then the next two weeks, uh, I started building up a little bit more consistent running in there. And then after that, I started adding in, uh, you know, one one quality session per week. Well, this Monday, I had gotten to the point where my running stress balance had crossed from negative 10 to negative 13. And so for me, I know just from looking at the running stress balance metric from Stride that once I cross past negative 10, I tend to, you know, feel a little bit run down. And so Monday came I looked at my running stress balance in the morning. It said negative 13. And my plan for the day was to run somewhere between 45 to 60 minutes that morning. And I said, you know what? I am crossing into where I feel personally, even if I didn't have the running stress balance metric there, I was going to feel tired because I started adding in specific bouts of higher training. I started adding in higher RSS. I was doing a little bit more extended uh, durations and training. And so I ran 30 minutes because I knew that I, it was okay for me to back off a little bit because I moved from negative 10 to negative 13. And just from my personal uh, you know, experience using the running stress balance metric, for me, that was an okay sign to back off a little bit that day. The next day, I went out and crushed that workout I mentioned just a little bit ago, that seven times three minute. I ran it exactly, exactly perfect within a plus, like, plus or minus, I ran within, again, that, that very, very small range because the day before I knew enough to back off a little bit and that allowed me to stay healthy and then again, have a, have a great workout that next day. So um, you can use concrete examples like running stress balance, I think is a great one, especially when you're for the first time transitioning from, you know, maybe that, that maintenance zone all the way into productive or before cautionary and overreaching. It's a great way to help you kind of stay in that healthy mindset about training as well, where you don't have to push it. And, you know, Stride told me that, hey, yeah, your running stress balance is a little bit higher than it was the day before. So I took that as a sign to back off and I had a great workout the next day. So um, anything else about this more advanced topic? Yes. I think that's good. Cool. Uh, expert, power duration into speed and distance. What does this mean, Gus? Yeah, so let's say that your training plan says you need to run 10 miles and you need to do it at six minute miles. And 
for runners who have been in the speed distance paradigm for so long, uh, you know, they want to hit those numbers. They want to hit the pace number and they want to hit the distance number. Well, in reality, the the purpose of that workout is actually to run a one hour run at a um, at a you know maybe a zone maybe a, a high zone two intensity. Let's say you're a very fit runner, and um, let's say that you're you're traveling and you're in the mountains and it's very hilly and it's uh, very windy. So it would not be wise to go run those those ten miles at six minute mile pace. That would be very difficult and that would be far more difficult than what the workout had intended. Uh, instead, you need to recognize that instead of trying to run for a speed and a distance, instead you want to hit that power and duration. So in fact, you might run seven minute miles and you might only run you might only run eight miles, but that in, achieves the same purpose as that original workout. So you really need to think about things in terms of power duration because that's what creates the training stimulus. The speed and distance, the training stimulus can be variable depending on the external conditions. If you want to keep a measured and uh, you know a very uh, quantifiable training stimulus, you need to think about your activities and your training plan in terms of power and duration. There's a, a great run that I like to highlight when it comes to the differences between uh, a, a very constant incline versus a very constant decline. There's a route here in the mountains. Uh, Gus, you and I have run it before. It's uh, up at Rollinsville, right? So um, it starts at about 8,200, 8,300 feet above sea level. So it's in the mountains, but the whole way up, it's an eight mile uh, dirt road the whole way up. And it's at a very, very, very gradual incline. So in eight miles, you gain about a thousand feet. Uh, so when I moved to Boulder and started working at Stride, this was maybe a couple months after I moved here. It was the first time I was running up at that high of an elevation. And my only goal was to try and keep a consistent wattage. And I ran at 270 watts up and I ran at 270 watts down. And again, I, I'll, I'll highlight me in the past would have thought my first eight miles was so slow because I ran 650 per mile up. And then coming back down, I ran 610 per mile. And old me would have been like, oh man, that's great. I crushed my long run. I really hammered it home. But because I was using stride, I just ran at 270 the whole way. So I used power duration. I, I extended that power for a longer time rather than trying just to compare my speed over a distance. And so um, that's one of the runs that, you know, I'll, I'll send to people or if people have questions about how power um, you know kind of changes if I'm running at an incline or if I'm running downhill it's a great great example that you know you can have this variability of 40 seconds per mile on average over eight miles but the effort was the exact same um, so it's a it, it's a really really cool thing once you start to illustrate some of these things in your own training as well and you you get that idea that it is more important to focus on the task at hand rather than the thing that looks uh, you know, nice and gets thumbs up from, from some friends on social media and stuff like that too, uh, which is not bad, but they can be so impressed by your power duration rather than the speed distance, I think. Exactly, that's a fantastic example. Yeah. Um, cool, do we have any questions about this or any other points before we move on to the next one? Yeah, we do have a question I think is relevant to this topic and sure. that question is from Bruno. Mm -hmm. And Bruno asks, can you gain fitness while basically staying below negative 10 RSP. So he's referring to the productive 
uh, training region in the running stress balance. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to stay in that. Do you have to stay in that region for your training to be productive? Yeah, uh, I think one of the things with the, the RSB and the some of the ranges is when we're looking at this difference between uh, you know the the numbers of your past seven days versus your past 42 days and this is something that goes along with all performance management charts right uh, you have to make a, a line somewhere uh, and so gaining fitness in 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 terms of the actual number on you know we can only speak about our specific side somewhere between negative 10 you know, running stress balance all the way up to the top range of that, you're adding in that overall running stress at a point where it is not, you know, way, way, way too much in that short term where it's going to give you that higher chance of overreaching or being in that cautionary zone. Then if you move a little bit more negative past that, the trade-offs of you stressing your body more, and then again, recognizing that you have to take recovery after that, that's just where we identify it's it's an intermediate stage before you're pushing too much is where we're saying, okay, if you're enacting these specific types of stressful efforts and then you're able to recover after them, that is where we're determining that it is you know a productive balance. If you're in the if you're in the maintenance zone, you're absolutely still maintaining, the increase of your stress in a certain amount. If you get to a point where, you know, we, we don't necessarily advocate for this, but let's say over eight weeks, you get to a point and you just keep repeating the same things over and over and over and over again, right? Well, eventually your RSB uh, in, in concept would get to zero because you're not adding and you're not subtracting from it. And you'd be in that perfectly maintenance zone, but you still are absolutely adding to your fitness. So just because you're in the negative 10 to the higher range, it doesn't mean you're not gaining fitness. It just means that you're at a point at which we're drawing a line between some, you know, distinctions there. Great, great answer. Great answer. And we have a question from Zach Piper on mm -hmm. Facebook. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to incorporate the stress and muscle fatigue from non-running exercises into determining if I should reduce my running according to running stress balance metrics? Yeah. I mean, like I gave the concrete example a little bit earlier, when I woke up uh, on Monday, I was tired because I did a, you know, my longest duration run the day before, uh, you know, since probably... Uh, the middle of February, maybe the very beginning of February, I, I went out for an 80 minute run. Uh, and that was my longest training run over the past couple months. And so when I woke up on Monday, I was tired, I knew that I should probably not stick to my 45 to 60 minute plan, uh, you know, duration, because I had a workout the next day. But then I looked at my running stress balance, and it kind of confirmed the same thing. But before I looked at my running stress balance, I still had that same idea. So you know your body, you know how much is too much, you know that other things can be stressful. Um, right now, stride does not in incorporate, you know, if you're lifting heavy weights in your own gym, or if you're, um, you know, staying up a little bit later, and that's adding stress. Uh, and that's not something that we we can track right now. So it's not something that's going to factor in that equation. But you still should know your body and, and know, know that feeling, I think, for uh, stress added from outside sources. Great. That's all the relevant questions. So let's move on to the uh, wrap up and then we can move on to sure. your questions. Sure. 
so what will likely not improve right now, Gus? Do we have specific examples here? Yeah. So, you know, over the next few months with, with the lack of racing opportunities, you really want to focus on the things you can improve. And there's mm -hmm. some things that are not likely going to change. So let's mm -hmm. uh, let's let's cover some of the things that you probably should not focus on or worry about. Yeah. And that is your ability to turn power into speed. And this is commonly uh, called running effectiveness. Uh, you're more likely to get improvements in your critical power and the other regions we mentioned than any improvements in running effectiveness, where let's say a good runner might have a running effectiveness of 0 0.95 with mm -hmm. the new stride. Um, you know, if they're trying to get that to 0 0.96, that's a fine goal, but that is likely not something that you should focus on, likely something that's not going to move over the next few months without the racing opportunities. You're far better suited on tracking the leg spring stiffness, the critical power, and looking for improvements there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not that this isn't important to look at. It's that right now, recognizing the current situation and some of the stuff that we've talked about, those uh, are things that could take higher priority um, in, in your training focus. Uh, peak running stress score. So don't overload your running stress balance right now. You don't have to wake up on Monday morning after doing your longest run of the training cycle yet and go and push out for another 60 minutes just because the training plan said so. It's okay right now, again, to keep things as consistent as possible and stick to uh, you know a, a, a training plan in a sort of dynamic way where you're not aiming to just stack a bunch of running stress uh, on top of yourself right now. It's okay to just keep consistent and not focus on overloading your running stress balance. Yeah, it, it's perfectly fine to stay inside of the productive and maintenance categories inside of the running stress balance. There's no reason to push deep into overreaching or beyond that right yeah, now. Totally. That's fine at the when the races are almost here and you're peaking for those uh, performances. But right now, let's just build the endurance. Sure. And then three things to remember. We we like to kind of wrap these these up with a couple talking points to to box up and take home. Uh, number one, celebrate your accomplishments. Gus, what are some ac accomplishments that you can celebrate right now? So all of these. If you have a more consistent power, if you have an increase in your critical power, if you solve some get, uh, gaping holes inside of your power duration curve. Um, you know, those are things that should put a big smile on your face because those are things that you can measure. Those are things you've worked for and achieved. And if we can't celebrate racing, we can certainly celebrate our personal accomplishments that we've displayed in training. Absolutely. Um, for me, it might be me going on a webinar series and celebrating the fact that I ran a 30 minute run instead of a 45 to 60 minute run. And then I crushed my workout the next day. Those are the accomplishments that I'm celebrating and the um, you know, trying to stay grounded in the moment of the things that I'm really, really focusing on. Uh, number two, we have the luxury of time. Focus on one skill at once. What What do you mean by this, Gus? Yeah, so we, we outlined a lot of great information over the last hour. And mm -hmm. I know people's minds are scrambling. They say, I want to implement this. I want to implement that. I want to do all these different things. Yep. And the reality is you probably just need to do one that's interesting to you. Um, do that for maybe six weeks, such as improve your leg spring stiffness. And then after those six weeks are up, that's part of your routine. And now you can focus more on 
showing up the weak spots of the power duration curve. Absolutely. So just focus on one of these at once, and uh, there's plenty of time. Absolutely. We don't have to uh, rush things to be done next week. We can just focus on improving over a longer period of time and keeping that longer focus. Uh, I know as runners, we like to have that sort of immediate gratification sometimes, but it is it is okay to recognize that we have the luxury of time right now. And the third thing is data has the answers to questions you don't have yet. And this is from Strutter Gautham. I thought this was great uh, when we were reviewing this the other day. Uh, this is a, a, a great kind of message to take home. Yeah, one of uh, the Striders, uh, Gotham, was in our office, and he left me with this quote during his um, during his visit, and I thought it was very impactful. So a lot of these things we've covered, they might already be in your existing data. There might be accomplishments you can celebrate right now. Mm -hmm. And now, after watching this webinar, you now know the right questions to ask, mm -hmm. and you can go find the answers in your existing data, and you could be celebrating uh, you know, later today. Yeah. And uh, again, if anybody wants to put it on a t-shirt and send it to us, data has the answers to questions you don't have yet is the quote that we will wrap up with. Uh, wrapping up now, what other questions do we have coming through? And if anybody is watching after the fact uh, or listening after the fact, you can always send any questions to support at stride.com for customer service or support related stuff, but also our great, great uh, Facebook community, the Stride community on Facebook is a great place to ask any questions that you might have afterwards as well. Yeah, Evan, I'll serve up some of these questions to you and I'll let you sure. answer these in a rapid fire manner because there's quite a few. So sure. there, there's two questions I have here that are quite kind of the same. Mm -hmm. One's from Stu and one is from Karen. Mm -hmm. um, Stu asks, let's say I want to run a half marathon with a goal of 250 watts. How do I keep my watts consistent? And Karen's question is, I noticed I wasn't very consistent with my goal power of 170 watts for my 10K. Are there any tips to keep this wattage a bit more level? Yeah, um, absolutely. One, you got to practice what you do. So if we're looking back at a, uh, you know, a time when we had races on, on the calendar, you have to practice specifically what your intention is on race day. Uh, so again, like I was kind of advocating for if you use Garmin, uh, and you have a compatible watch right now, I, I really, really think that the Stride Workout app is a fantastic, fantastic app. Uh, otherwise, before this app was out, uh, I was using the Apple Watch Structured Workouts app, uh, and I still run with the Apple Watch um, almost every day and use workouts on that as well. And you can set up uh, lap power before that. I was using the Stride Zones data field, and I was setting my data display to be as lap power. I really, really think that lap power is helpful for not only races, um, but any time when you have a specific intention to average a number in mind, you know, again, keep that plus or minus uh, range in there, uh, but using lap power on whatever device you have uh, to monitor power, uh, whether that's a watch, uh, I, I really, really do think that lap power is the most helpful way to go about keeping a consistent wattage and identifying that it is okay to bounce around a little bit, but as long as you focus on keeping that lap average, I think that that's the, the best kind of approach right now. That's a fantastic point. Uh, so here's some more questions. Mm -hmm. And 
Here's one from Tyler saying, you were saying that you can track leg spring stiffness over the course of the run. And he's asking, how would you do that? So what are your techniques for looking at leg spring stiffness, Evan? Yeah, it's something that I, I, I like to look at. Um, I'm a big fan of jump roping, adding in some plyometrics. I, I like running hills a lot. The you know kind of analysis that I like to dive into um, is maybe comparing uh, two runs that are in very, very, very similar conditions. So if that's threshold repeats on a track or I'm running the exact same loop uh, in the exact same shoes and the um, you know surface is again the, the same, that's when I'll start to compare. It's not something like, you know, Monday I look at LSS, then Tuesday I look at LSS, Wednesday I look at the same thing. Um, it's not something that I find uh, incredibly actionable and helpful in my own training to look at day over day. But if I am starting to, again, like Gus mentioned, maybe this next six weeks, I'm going to focus specifically on a plyometric routine, a hill routine, and I'm going to track LSS in the same pair of shoes across different runs. That might be something that I can get a little bit more in depth about. Um, but for me, I really only track the uh, biomechanical side of things from stride, whether it's ground contact time or vertical oscillation, uh, when conditions are very, very near equal. We have some similar questions here from David Jensen mm -hmm. and Bruno. Mm -hmm. uh, Bruno asks, will you be covering ground contact time? How can I improve ground contact time? And David asks, I would really like to improve stride length and ground contact time. Any episodes I should look for where this has already been covered? Yeah, we talked about in episode three of the Stride Power podcast. It's called Understanding Power Meter Metrics. And I think that's actually one of our best performing uh, episodes of all time. We have a lot of people that have listened to that because it's, yeah, it's it's no uh, secret if you're, if you've never heard of, you know, you, you may have heard of ground contact time. You might be familiar with the notion that your foot spends a bit of time on the ground while you are running and you want to know how to improve that because it could lead to X, Y, and Z. Uh, understanding power meter metrics, episode three of the Stride Power podcast is one I'd highly recommend uh, to people that are looking for more information about any of the metrics that, that we're talking about. Uh, Pascal asks, does Stride calculate critical power automatically? It, it does. Uh, we have the auto CP model and we covered this very, very in depth with uh, last week's webinar, but also we have, I believe, at least one uh, podcast episode talking about the auto CP release uh, a couple of, you know, um, however long ago it came out. It's actually about a year now since we uh, started started doing the auto CP stuff. So it's actually um, been very, very cool to see. Uh, but yeah, I believe we have a podcast episode specifically talking about it, but yes, absolutely. And last week's webinar was a great, um, you know, over encompassing view for it. Bruno asks, is there any tutorial to be able to estimate running stress scores so I can know beforehand what would my next training reflect on in my, how my training would reflect on my running stress balance yeah. and be able to judge my training and know when to dial it down? Yeah, we have um, the blog.stride.com uh, talks about when we first released running stress score. And that's 
that's years ago now at this point it's been you know been in the ecosystem for for a while there are specific examples of types of runs that will have an approximate value for rss so the important thing for people to remember uh, is that and, and if you know anything about rss know this for an hour of running at your critical power that'll be equal to 100 rss so that's something to internalize, something to, to remember. If you run for an hour at your critical power, it'll be equal to 100 RSS. And so um, we don't necessarily right now like to suggest planning training by RSS because it's a little bit more difficult to try and do that over the course of your run, but it is a very good gauge right now. And that's why we've enacted the running stress balance tool to help you have more of an understanding about RSS uh, and help that inform some of your training decisions. So um, we don't necessarily yeah, advocate for planning training by RSS right now, but uh, looking at running stress balance and then looking at the blog.stride.com uh, running stress score uh, entry in there, it explains different types of runs and how uh, RSS might be, um, you know, you might look for a number for this type of run. There is a question from Leandro. In a duathlon, there are two races with a bike in the middle. So he's talking about a run, bike, bike run. Yep. How would I use the power duration curve? And I think specifically means how would I determine a power target for the run section and then the second run section? And Evan, I can answer this one. Yeah, sure. So for this kind of race, it requires a bit of strategy because it depends how well you run off the bike. Mm -hmm. And it depends about the distance of the race and what kind of competition you're going, going against. If it's a very competitive race, uh, you might need, and it also depends if it's draft legal or non-draft legal. So you'd really need to strategize this race that specifically suits your skill set and the race. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're not comfortable riding behind a bunch of people, it could be beneficial to push that power target up a bit so you can get ahead on the bike and then dial that power target back for the second run. Mm -hmm. Or if you're not very effective at running off the running off the bike, uh, it depends how much of that fatigue from that first run is going to uh, affect that second run. So we do have a triathlon episode for race power planning. Yep. And this is by Coach Chris Haig. Yep. And you can find this on our YouTube channel. And this will help address some of these questions. But uh, for a very specialized situation like this, uh, you really need to pick a power target that works well for you, but likely your power target for the first run and second run should be uh, fairly similar. Absolutely. Um, the duathlon and yeah, triathlon specifically stuff, you definitely have to take some more information into account. So it's absolutely um, that, that webinar we did with Chris, I think it's a great, great addition there. We have a question from Ravinder Dang. Mm -hmm. How many minutes of pilometric training in a week is adequate for building LSS? And I don't think we've covered this one exactly yet, but maybe, maybe. Yeah, there's, um, th there's, there's a great uh, kind of look into uh, some routines from Coach Steve Palladino from the Palladino Power Project. This is um, something I think we talked about in the Understanding Power Meter Metrics episode about uh, 
you know, there was a specific little reflection on data that he had from some of his athletes, a specific routine that they followed. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily um, recommend right right now. I, I couldn't give a, a recommendation just out of the blue for somebody for uh, adding in plyometrics, but uh, Steve has a great uh, sort of review of the few runners he was working with that he was looking at in this, you know, kind of analysis of their progression of leg spring stiffness after they added in a specific set of plyometric exercises. So um, I, I wouldn't necessarily have a general recommendation for that, uh, but there's there's some great stuff out there. And if we find it, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. So I have a questionnaire from uh, Lubos, and excuse me if I did not pronounce the name correctly. He asks, am, I am a trail runner. Do I get it right that I should fill in my power duration curve with max efforts performed in the conditions I usually run in on the trails? Yeah, that's a, uh, I mean, a great question. And when we uh, had talked to Andy Dubois before, like re recently, but uh, even before that, his, um, you know, specific advice is you do have the ability to perform um, you know, some uphill critical power tests, you have ability to find your, uh, you know, running, uh, you know, numbers at different inclines and elevations and, and stuff like that. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's something that you have to go in with the understanding that you are looking specifically at the cases you want to replicate for that end goal. So if the end goal is going to be, you know, racing on the trail, you have to look at the power data and look at the data that you're getting in those light conditions is what I would say. So that wraps up the practical training knowledge questions. There's a few questions regarding our mobile app and future features, and I can address some of these quickly. Uh, I pr we probably will not go into too much detail here, but mm -hmm. we have a question asking when will air resistance and air power measurements be available in the app? We have a lot of great updates coming to our iOS and Android apps, and yep. we really think it's going to blow you guys away. And it goes far beyond, these updates go far beyond displaying more metrics. They're, yep. really, they're really groundbreaking metrics. I think you're gonna be very impressed when you see them. So uh, please stay tuned for that. We have a question on tracking LSS and watts per kilogram over time for certain runs. Mm -hmm. Inside of our mobile app, we do have a tagging feature where you can tag a run such as a track run, a trail race, uh, many different types of tags. Uh, I would highly recommend tagging your run we have some great filtering tools so you can filter all of your trail runs or all of your track runs at once and then compare those runs by tapping on them. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we will be offering more in-depth filtering options in the future, but it's important to start tagging those activities now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The more information you can uh, give, the, the more you know base of stuff you have to reflect on in the future as we continue to you know develop and add stuff. And that sounds like it's most of our questions. So that is all we have for now in, in case there's any more questions that roll in, but I think that is that is really it right now. Awesome. This was so fun. And just as a reminder, 
to people, we're going to keep doing this type of format where we will, you know, serve up some information from our side, and we would love to take your questions and interact with the community. Um, the plan is right now to do this uh, at least once per week going forward, but we we always love getting the the questions in and um, being able to give uh, some more information from our side. Uh, if anybody has any other questions and you're watching this or listening to it after the fact, again, um, would absolutely love to plug the Stride community on Facebook and our support at stride.com for any support related things for now. Gus, was there anything else we should cover today? We're going to be back on Monday with a fantastic webinar with a longtime Stride user, uh, Will Murray, and he's going to be talking about practical tips on mental skills training. So it's going to be a great extension of the webinar we did with Dr. Walker early this week. I think that is going to be a fantastic webinar. Uh, additionally, if you are interested in uh, Stride and you've been catching and enjoying these webinar series, you can go to store.stride.com and purchase Stride. Um, Stride is in stock in the U.S., so we can even get that shipped out today if you place an order today. Um, Stride will be in stock in the uh, EU again shortly, and we will be getting those uh, orders shipped out early next week. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Well, this uh, wraps up this episode. We're so excited to continue this series. For now, we hope everybody is staying happy and healthy, uh, staying safe, and we'll be back next week with a, another edition of the Stride for the Love of Running series. Gus, I will talk to you later. Have a great one. Yeah, thanks. Talk again soon. Bye-bye.